gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 120, the review segment for Friday, May 27, 2016. God, May is over already, guys. That was crazy. Uh, tonight we're reviewing X-Men Apocalypse, which is the third superhero movie to come out in the last three months. Not even, like two months. We've had a lot of these lately. Oh, right. I forgot uh, about Batman v Superman <laughs> Dawn of Justice. And then there was Deadpool, which I didn't even see. So, uh, that was February. That's yeah. technically in the... Let me fill Dave's spot here for a second. This is part of the X-Men universe, according to the X-Men Wikipedia page. So X-Men and Apocalypse Deadpool is, is the ninth. technically X-Men. a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but only technically. Wait, you were, Patches, you were going to take us back to the history? Was I? No, absolutely okay. not. Well, we have been doing this for 16 years, and by this I mean the X-Men franchise. That's true. X-Men franchise kind of came first, depending on what you're counting from. That's it's, it was, astonishing to it, me. Uh, the importance of the X-Men movies as far as galvanizing the ongoing uh, wave of superhero movies, the generation, what we think of superhero movies, not Meteor Man or the Richard Donner Superman, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe era of super movies uh, was really Please recognize Bra- Blade. Blade, Blade uh, I don't think that... I, I, think blade at the time because there wasn't much of a there, there wasn't much it of a scene count. uh in the superhero universe felt more like a horror fantasy film than it did a superhero film at the time i buy that i would i would argue that well, so, what about what about the original x-men made it superhero-y do you think well it was it, a bunch of different people with powers all in the it, same it, space? it was also very focused in building a world and expanding it and and Sort of planting the seeds for telling stories beyond this. That it is I mean, the universe, tell, even if it's the first yeah. star, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So, I mean, X-Men, so X-Men started with Brian Singer. He left after two films. He came back for the previous X-Men film and now this one. Uh, it could, it kind of should be like a big career capper. Like, it's unclear if they'll make more of these X-Men movies. Probably not with Jennifer Lawrence, at least, because she seems pretty done with it. Um, but, you know, this could be pretty clear oh, oh, yeah, that they're going to yeah. make more of these. Well, like, but like more with Brian Singer. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, th- this could be Brian Singer's what's, last X-Men film. What's more clear, that they're going to make more of these or that Jennifer Lawrence is done with them? Because <laughs> I, I would vote for the latter. I think she was but, done with them after First Class, but oh, that's sure. up for debate. Yeah. No, but now she is done with them. But does this, uh, I mean, this film to me does not have the like the big valedictory feel of like a, here is the end of our trilogy about no. these characters and the you know say goodbye to James McAvoy as Professor X. Like it's just kind of like a, here's another thing. It's, it's, it's kind trudging of through that. contractual obligation to cross <laughs> a finish line where Josh Boone's new mutant movie can finally. Oh, is that prevail. what's happening next? Yeah, because you think that maybe like Jubilee, who they made a big deal about casting in X Men Apocalypse, will eventually have a part in one Which of these one movies. Jubilee? Which one was not- Jubilee? Is Jubilee not in this one? No, she is in this one. <laughs> the fact that you're asking this question is a, is a problem, I guess. I know so little about the action. She's the one. Like, other she is the Asian one with a yellow jacket. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she just disappears. She appears in v- much of the viral marketing for <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. But, like, it's her... weird. Like, there's a moment where, like, she could be involved in the rest of the action, and she just vanishes. 
Yeah, which has always been a problem for the X-Men. They introduce so many characters as kind of a nod to the comic books, but there's no room for them. And yeah. There never has been. No, There's no star of these movies beyond well, Wolverine. There could yeah. be room for them if they weren't so imbalanced towards characters who have nothing to do. And yet, and yet I would argue what I like about X-Men Apocalypse is that it is an ensemble movie where there is not a star. This is not... Oh, Jennifer Lawrence got famous. It's her movie now. Or Michael Fassbender is the best actor. His movie. It's everyone's movie. I think that which is so weird you, right you now are, because they're big stars. You are right in some respects. I think it, it does feel like the movie belongs to Apocalypse, uh, and uh, but not necessarily to Oscar Isaac because he's pretty much unrecognizable. Um, but I, I, your point is taken. I think as far as the fact that it's not, it doesn't belong to any one of these characters. Maybe I think it's that's McAvoy's always sort of been movie. the. Maybe. No. Is McAvoy's top build? Which I love him in they, this movie. They all feel, even Michael Fassbender gives a strong performance, they all feel like they have to be there. Um, and that actually goes not just for the big stars, but also for the people. Well, I mean, we should just go back to the Poor beginning. Nicholas but it, that also goes to the people who, uh, like the Olivia Munns of the world, who have two lines, but... Um, get I an exit. She was a cardboard cutout from Party City. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's uh, it's bizarre. But why don't you uh, why don't you take us through what this film is all about? <laughs> Good luck, oh my God. Katie. Uh, this movie it takes place twenty years after the first X Men First Class, uh, and no one has aged, which is weird, uh, including Rose Byrne, who is a normal human who has no mutant powers. I think that's nineteen eighty three. If I'm, I was. Yeah, and the first Wikipedia movie was the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is like nineteen sixty one, isn't it? Yeah, that's a little confusing. Yeah, no one is aged. Um, I guess uh, the Professor X school is flourishing and doing fine. Magneto has uh, gone off into hiding after the whole thing. Honestly, what I remember from X-Men Days of Future Past is so minimal that like, I didn't really remember what he got up to at the White House. He located a stadium. That happened. I mean, yeah, he tried to assassinate the president. That's a pretty big deal. And they make it a big deal in this. He's gone into hiding. He's basically oh, living yeah. a Dogma 95 film. Off in the middle of <laughs> yeah, he's got this whole Polish identity, and uh, I would watch a whole movie about a Polish steel worker, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> Lars von that... Trier directs Magneto Origins. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no. Show, they, love... Why they didn't break out into the uh, Kvalda song from yes, Dancer in the Dark yes. that she sings in the factory when Michael Fassbender is like working at the steel mill with his friends? So it was very, very disappointing. I mm-hmm. wanted this to be like a Pride, that movie where the coal miners uh, team up with the what gay the Pride uh, <laughs> campaigners, but uh, with Michael Fass. Uh, anyway, uh, so he's off on a Well, it could have been called a coal miner's daughter. I mean, that's very applicable to what happened. <laughs> hey <Hey-o. laughs> um, So he's off on his uh, other life. Mystique is, uh, she seems to be like going around like helping other mutants like live better lives because like some of them are being paid to fight in weird right. clubs in it's Berlin. It's so funny because she was a bad person in the second movie. She went full... Evil. But she went heroic at the end, which I had forgotten about until oh, everyone keeps talking about right. it in this movie. She really – Jennifer Lawrence got totally lost at Days of Future Past. Not important at all because of the whole hook of that movie, which is, oh, the old characters are back. Like n- none of these new guys were important. Total backseat. Here she is a little bit more prominent. But Jennifer Lawrence, I mean, I don't know if it's because I don't think – I'm not entranced by her performing across the board. Like, I'm not sure I'm sold on Jennifer Lawrence, which is a weird thing to say because she's one of the more famous people working today. But I don't think she's bad in this, but I don't think she's really she's not making an impact. anything. No, I never knew that she could be as unexciting to see on screen as she is here and unexcited to be there. She I mean, has this one is good a performance. Scene. It almost feels like protest. I mean, there's so <laughs> little emotion happening 
in her performance, it's it's pretty shocking. But the nice uh, thing and, too, I, and the script doesn't do her any favors, but still. True. No. But the useful thing in this movie is that, like you said, it's introducing a ton of new characters, which arguably there's not enough room for all of them, but you've got uh, Sophie Turner showing up as Jean Grey. You've got, um, oh, shit, some guy showing up as Cyclops. Ty Sheridan. Oh, Ty Sheridan, yeah, who I didn't recognize, who I've seen in other things. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee is uh, like a teenage nightcrawler who I thought was terrific. I was I really liked him. I had no I idea it was him. I assumed they'd found some German teenager for the part until I realized it was like I think he's Australian, um, and you you know kind of like the you know Muppet Babies X Men kind of filling in at Xavier's school and then becoming part of the plot, and uh, I really liked all of them and I like the energy that they're bringing to it. And then uh, Apocalypse shows up and he recruits a bunch of people and then the Four Horsemen, the people. I mean, wait, you're not setting up Apocalypse appropriately here. Oh, there's yeah. a, there's a, this, a level of grandeur and and. He, he is this that movie, you need so he's worth. Yeah, yeah oh, so I mean, uh, I kind of like uh, when you say he is this movie. I would be fine with most of this movie without him in it, and I love Oscar Isaac. So what? Why? Like, I get why Apocalypse is important to the plot, but is there anything to like about this here? Uh, the hamminess yeah, of his performance, I, the the low growling and the m- level or the layered uh, vocals uh, every time. Learning. He yeah, learning is, is an effective character for me. Because of the scale of his ambition and his power. He is – this is the only thing about this movie that makes it feel like a culmination of a broader narrative or of a trilogy or wherever this fits into the X-Men universe. Because he is the biggest of the bads. Um, they make it very clear. You know, He's the first mutant. The first scene takes place in ancient Egypt uh, where he has already accrued <laughs> an extraordinary amount of power. Right. He's and about to be reborn you, like again. He's This is a process you, for him. You understand the – extent of his power and how it could pervert his mind to looking at humans as creatures that are beneath him and to instill that same sense of superiority in his fellow mutants. Um, I think that while the character, what the character does uh, and how the film uses him, particularly in its last half is, is spectacularly boring. um, And the fighting in this movie is a total waste of time. The it's a very male part of it. Be well, noted. the last like thirty minutes are a snooze, but uh, the the big battle at the end. But the um, and the thing is that they set him up as being so invincible that <laughs> it's a bit unconvincing that anyone could fight him in the first place. However, uh, the setup for him, what he's capable of doing, what his intentions are, I, I think that is one of the only effective things in the movie. But isn't that the same thing we've seen Magneto do in every single movie, where he's like, "I have all these no. powers." The, like, how is he different? I mean, again, I'm not that commercial well, X-Men, but this all felt very familiar will, to me. It does feel familiar. And what annoys me about this movie and about Brian Singer's involvement in this movie is that – and I think this comes from a, a personal place – that he harps on the whole allegory of mutants as you know, the gay population or any ostracized minority. Uh, Prosecuted minority. Yes, yeah. exactly. That That – you know, we have to rise up or, you know, how do we fight back? How do we get people to understand us? But I feel like it's been, it's so repetitive. Like this is the same theme, the same conversation we were having in 2000 in the first X-Men. We're still having this yeah, conversation. Yeah, and you, and see, at least, you uh, see Professor X and Magneto have the same conversation. I, right. I think exactly. you're, you're absolutely right. But Apocalypse does something reason. different. Yeah, there, there is an appreciable difference to me between the, uh, Sort of the threat that Apocalypse poses and the the meaning behind it than anything that Magneto ever challenged. I think Magneto is better served, even though the film 
again, doesn't really know what to do with him in its second half. He's better served as an agent of this greater yes. evil than he is as the leader himself. I, I like the idea of false gods and people who have evolved past other people and this superiority complex in that apocalypse wants to wipe people out because they don't deserve to live. They're stupid or they're they're subhuman uh, or whatever his bar that he's set, that he just wants to wipe everyone out because they suck. He's probably right. You know, it, let's be we honest. We do. We do. Uh, he should wipe us out. But we they have They're to fight against Nightcrawler him. They're making Nightcrawler fight for money in a Berlin cage. <laughs> that is horrible. Um, uh, but that's, but that's why I'm kind of down with this movie a little more. At least compared to, I mean, how can I not think about Captain America Civil War? How can I not think about Batman Superman? How can I not think about Deadpool during these movies? I'm just, like, glad to have a villain who is operatic and grandiose. I, I, I just love that it's so silly and so determined to destroy everything uh even if the payoff as david said the the ending does not feel apocalyptic it feels very no suffocating and that's the most shot on a green screen it doesn't yeah. i don't think it's a thir- last 30 minutes it might be the last 20 minutes it, it certainly felt that way really wait yeah. the whole battle in that random city in egypt that gets uh, the random city i think it's cairo I, I think it's called cairo <laughs> <laughs> i mean it doesn't i, I know you're right they no, not to mansplain <laughs> what the uh, <laughs> In which the, the scene in which Magneto spends like the entire time floating in the air, like yeah, spinning he's just metal raving. around. He's doing that yeah. liquid dancing that you do in clubs uh, to yeah. get metal to fly out of the ground. But so that's the thing. Like it's so big and so crazy. You know, what's the only music that they can play when Apocalypse starts launching nukes using Professor X's brain? A Beethoven seventh. Because there's nothing – and then they have to add a choir line onto it, right? <laughs> it's that big and stupid that uh, – that's what I like about Apocalypse, having a villain that feels that apocalyptic, I guess, uh, that, that mm. you have to back him in that way. And this movie is so silly for me. It reminds me of Jupiter Ascending or reminds me of – uh, John Carter or something like that. That the, the audacity Uh-oh. of it all. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not making comparisons that a lot of people enjoy. Here. Is my favorite word to use to describe this movie because I think that at its best, uh, it is an extremely audacious movie for its incredibly milquetoast genre. Uh, that's why I greatly preferred this to, and still didn't love it, you know, by any stretch, to anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the last however many years. Uh, because there are things in this movie that I could not believe that I was seeing. There's a lot of movie <laughs> in it, if that. Well, makes yeah, sense. David, do you want to talk about your uh, your favorite scene in this movie that uh, you had I, hinted at, and I kind of couldn't believe it existed until I saw it, it myself. I, I wonder if it veers into spoiler territory. I don't think so. I mean, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Um, but I, 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 I I do worry that there might be. Spo- we did not discuss. All right, this, we'll get into we'll get into spoilers in a little bit. Uh, I, gone. I, I will we'll save this the talk of this particular scene to which I'm referring for the spoiler section. If you haven't seen the movie and you're not overly concerned with spoilers, I will say that it does not spoil anything that happens in the actual <laughs> Nothing plot. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are moments in this movie, speaking vaguely, that are things that are far beyond what the very uh, safe Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, the, the true MCU, not these outlier films, uh, would that are, you know, distributed by Fox would dare to include. Um, they are moments that activated uh, like nerves for me that I didn't think were capable of these films. And it, it was very interesting. I like what they did with it. And it makes it all the more disappointing that the movie just sort of drops that and, and sags towards the 
generic final half where it doesn't at all feel like a climactic chapter. It just feels like more of the same but less exciting. Brian Singer can shoot action much better and more fluently than he does here. X2, for example, uh, every – not every beat, but many of the – sequences in that, uh, particularly the action ones, have a sense of purpose to them. They have a fluidity in how they move. This is just a fucking shitstorm of digital noise. Uh, you can feel, and we watch well, the whole credits. The ending, surely, but there are yeah. smaller beats that are audacious in the way that you're describing. Like, I'm thinking of the opening when uh, Apocalypse is, I guess, sucking the life out of another mutant, but um, all these Egyptian soldiers are trying to come kill him, and I like that kind of – I guess – do you consider that action when he is, like, blowing the skin off their bones using energy blasts <laughs> sure. or, like, twisting them into pretzels yeah. and shit Although or squishing them with bricks? Like, all of that stuff is crazy. This movie is really violent. There, There is another really violent. scene that has been the centerpiece of so many of the ads and trailers um, that involves the launching of nuclear missiles. And the Stan Lee cameo, the – uh, you know, mandatory Stanley cameo is right in the middle of it, and it completely dismantles <laughs> one of the most, one of the only really genuinely exciting. It's still pretty haunting. It was for me. I mean, uh, you, but you like, yeah, no, Stanley should not the have been. Tyranny in of that, it's ridiculous. But um, there are, I mean, that moment, the moment which we referred to earlier, there are exciting passages in this that hint at actual ideas, bold ideas being put into play there, and and then you know, on a purely uh, on the level of pure spectacle, what he does with Quicksilver, what Brian Singer does with Quicksilver in this film, while riffing on a very similar sequence from Days of Future Past, I think is an improvement on but that. Let's let's hone mm. in on that moment for a second because when we talk about the difference between like the MCU movies, Captain America, and you know we took a lot of shit from people listening to this about the way we were talking about that movie and how only we some of us did, That's some of true. us liked it. You were on the right side of that argument, apparently. But, you know, yep. David, you and I didn't really care for the action in that no. movie. We thought it was suffocating and, and, and uh, driven by close-ups. And it was nonsense. Uh, I also didn't like the action in that movie. Oh, okay, good. Worth. We're all on this line. Well, get ready to take shit, Katie. Um, okay. But I, I love that Quicksilver scene because here's something that's, like, reaching. There aren't many special effects, especially CG-enabled ones, that really wow me today yeah someone was talking to me about independence day right blowing up the white house what an iconic image what an amazing moment that's crystallized and we're still in all of it and we're still obsessed with it which is why they're making independence day too um, which we talked about earlier this week right exactly uh but and but here's something that it really just stands out to me and even though we've seen it in days of future past it ups the ante. There's real stakes. Like, all these kids are about to die. Uh, just to give a little setup, I don't think this is a spoiler. The ex, the, the mansion is kind of like blowing up in this slow motion scene, and Quicksilver comes just in the nick of time and set to the Eurythmics, gets all these kids out. What an incredible scene uh, using technology to the best of it, you know, to, to really capture these moments. Very funny, very thrilling. I just don't see and it's scenes like that ever. Ever. I mean, it's got like, it's just got ideas. Like, it's using powers to be like, what if we did this thing? What if we did that thing? And what I was going to say is what I think sets this, these movies apart from the MCU is that the, the powers in X-Men are so specific. And when you're watching people team up and you know what they're capable of doing, they all have these different things to contribute. Like, there's a sense of individuality within the groups of people who are fighting against each other. And even when it's like you were saying, like, digital noise, like the end, you know that 
Jean Grey can do one thing and Cyclops can do another thing and Storm can do one thing and, and the satisfaction of seeing that team up it's just a, it's an attention to character and the specificity of like what it would be like to have these powers that makes that Quicksilver scene so great, like just the imagination into it. And then I think makes the, the movie stronger, just that it it matters that they're a team. It matters that everyone's contributing to the whole. There's an ensemble quality to it that I think really only the Avengers has gotten at. Uh, well, and it doesn't feel like fan service, which is a big one. And it doesn't feel like I hope you've already invested in these characters because you're going to do the heavy lifting here. We're just going to kind of parade them around and you're going to bring your own – you're going to project upon them. Um, I was surprised how moved I was by some of the seeds in X-Men. I don't really care about these characters that much or I didn't think I did. But god damn it, when McAvoy and Fassbender get in a room together and start talking shit, I'm into it. I'm like kind of moved by their yes. friendship or even but McAvoy I, and Jennifer Lawrence as, you know, Mystique talking about like, oh, welcome back to the mansion. That whole dialogue. I was kind of moved by that. Even and Nicholas Holt and Jennifer Lawrence, too. I, I like the two of them yeah. together. Or Rose Byrne and, and McAvoy have this whole. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, I walked out of the theater and, so, and someone said that uh, this is crossing a line, I guess. But uh, James, James McAvoy or Professor X mind raped. <laughs> Rose Bird's character, boy, there was a whole like this is <laughs> oh, problematic. I'm like, I thought it was lovely, <laughs> you know, like he's saving uh, her and then like undoing this, and uh, maybe this is much more problematic than I thought it was. I, I don't. I, I thought it was lovely. I'd be willing to entertain arguments about it being problematic. Uh, I definitely thought it was narratively problematic. <laughs> um, so the problem uh, I have with the uh, the um, the movie about time with Donald Gleason, just to yes. be clear, that when uh, you oh, alter someone's memories about the knowledge, just saying. Just saying. Yeah, I, I think this is fucked up in similar ways, but it's also boring, which is um, almost as grievous a sin in uh, the case of a movie like this. So, okay, wait, so you wait, you think that character stuff is boring? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it should be against the law to waste Rose Byrne in the way that this movie does. I mean, it's offensive. <laughs> All it's right, genuine. You're in you're a neighbors to devotee. Uh, uh, no, we, her character's a total waste, uh, and the and the. I don't know. Is there a more elegant expression we can use than mind rape? The, uh, the, I was quoting someone. The, the, I was quoting the someone. Mind yeah. That, that is enforced and manipulated by professor X is so fucking boring. Um, it, it tries to squeeze this romance. I mean, maybe it's because it's too reliant for a movie that does it just, the movie doesn't recognize how little interest there is, I think in the connective tissue between these movies. It really, I couldn't believe watching this, that they were treating Days of Future Past as a genuine prerequisite rather than <laughs> uh, just something that happened. And ditto that for first class. And I'm like, nobody gives a fuck, you guys. They refer, they make a joke in this movie when the kids go to see uh, right, Return, Return of the, of the Jedi. Jedi. And Part they're like, the third favorite. one's always the worst. And they're referring to X-Men 3, The Last Stand, that Brian Singer didn't make. But they're also suggesting that this is the third movie in a trilogy. And I have to be honest – that was the first time that it even occurred to me that I was watching the last movie in a trilogy because this is not a trilogy. It's three movies that feature the same cast. There's a big difference. Well, and, and they they'll have to make to, a fourth one if everyone will sign a contract. Sure, like, they don't want to close They're trying they to chapter. retcon this into being a genuine trilogy, and they fail spectacularly, but there's still a ton of stuff that I wish – that I liked a lot and wish was in a better movie. But, but and I will say one that thing Michael, I, Michael Fassbender – gives a better performance as Magneto than anyone has ever or probably will ever give in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and it's not even close. His, his man tears Michael move me is so amazing. Much. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, I wanted to say just, I think we could probably move into spoilers soon. Uh, Michael Fassbender is amazing, and which makes it all the more disappointing when he has scenes with Oscar Isaac and there's just nothing. Boo. Boo to that, because Oscar Isaac is hilarious. He's just so, he's milking it every second. I, there's a scene where. But does that mean, does that mean he has like actual like chemistry with his other actors though? He's not supposed to have chemistry. He's just feels like, like he's on a different planet. He is on a different planet. He's a giant dried up blueberry talking to <laughs> Michael Fassbender about taking over the world, like uh, up, you know, upheaving the the metal of Earth. Like it is absurd, and I love that Michael Fassbender comes off scenes where like I'm working in a Polish factory. Many people in my life have died. I'm crying. All these people, and then blue guy shows up and kills people. And he's like, "Get in this leather suit. Let's do this." And it just switches gears. It's a whiplash, but I I don't know. I'm thrilled by Fassbender having to be part of this insanity, and that Oscar Isaac is dedicated to milking every single moment. There's a scene no, where he's Fassbender watching television and he's learning. He just keeps saying, learning. Superhero. I know. He's the Iron Giant. <laughs> no, um, superpowers. That's what he says. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of stuff really, really gets but, my But Fassbender is committing to it in like a way that just makes it feel like character-based and authentic. And, like, and I love Oscar Isaac. I just don't feel like – I don't feel like they're giving performances in the same movie. And it's like you see these two actors who – I would love to watch together in anything, and I will watch together in anything they do, including a sequel to this. But I just didn't get what I wanted to out of that. Did you Did you see the quote about how Brian Singer was directing Oscar Isaac in this movie? Oh yeah, like full uh, full Skeletor. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ba- based Woo. on the uh, the He Man movie, I think that is fantastic. That and that's exactly what it is. It is true comic book nonsense. I won't say nerd-ass shit because that'll get under David's skin, but uh, it's exactly that. We should talk about spoilers. Uh, you spoilers. Yeah, you want to move into spoilers? Yes. Okay, so let's ring the spoiler gong. Hey, David, we, David yeah. tell me about uh, Magneto leveling Auschwitz. Yeah, so <laughs> I, my jaw sort of hit the ground when they put in big block letters Trigger across warning the center of the screen – Auschwitz. Auschwitz. <laughs> yes. Even, Which, even you, having the movies seen, have gone there before. We yes. have seen many at Auschwitz before. But there is a very it, it's for whatever reason it's a lot more jarring to cut to Auschwitz in the middle of the movie and announce it with big block letters well, across to the be, street. To be to, fair, what we just saw in the scene before that, I believe, is Michael Fassbender trying to apologize to a team of Polish factory workers. Yes. Then a wrinkly blue man stepping through a portal with a leather-clad telepath and a woman who could control <laughs> weather and has yes. a mohawk. And yes. he steps out and murders all of them by sinking them into the floor. Yeah. Then oh, draws Magneto into the floor. <laughs> he there was there to kill those guys. Yeah. He's not there to apologize. No. Oh, but I'm sorry. The, there, ha- there has been uh, emotionally severe moments um, with real gravitas before the Auschwitz scene. I mean, the scene where we had had just seen his family get killed. Yes. That it's, and that's a very, I mean, there is more weight to that scene than there is in almost any other superhero movie. Uh, And so we go to Auschwitz and like, 
I'm like, really? Like this is, it was pretty incredible. But then what's really incredible and, and it's amazing just understanding how the studio system works and the n- number of meetings and that are involved in the notes that come down from all sorts of places that something that made it into this movie is, and that some VF, VF, VFX team somewhere or several of them had to render together. Is, months rendering is, together. Right. Hey, you're on is the a, Auschwitz scene. Uh, is a Holocaust? Yeah, exactly. You're is a Holocaust survivor who is a mutant who I believe has the uh, his numbers tattooed on his arm still, and he's destroying Auschwitz using his mutant powers. He is leveling Auschwitz to the ground. Now, it's not the ideal. I mean, it's it's not quite the raw raw go Jews. Thing. Although I do think that it is sort of refreshing how they lean into Magneto's Judaism is not something that you see often in a character that has any clear sense of power on screen, whether he be good or bad or both as he is often in the X-Men films. But uh, to have him destroy – because the Holocaust when – you, when you talk about the Holocaust, it's all about remembering the Holocaust, but doing what we can, often through humor or through various means of pop culture and whatnot, to remember it as tribute. And um, – you get into a lot of murky waters with depictions of the Holocaust. How do you visualize an atrocity and so on? But a good most scholars or want to destroy it. It is a museum now, and, and with good reason. Uh, it is meant to be preserved. But in Magneto's frustration, having recently lost his wife and daughter, uh, he... He uh, destroys Auschwitz and and the raw emotion there, the frustration with his lot in life, the accumulated rage and hatred that is built in built up in him. It is a huge gambit. They really swung for the fences. Uh, you couldn't imagine well, not, not gambit from X-Men just to be no. clear. not Channing Tatum. I, no, you, know, you can't imagine them swinging for the fences any more than they do in the scene. But it vividly expresses what is happening in that character. And I was pretty shaken by it and excited by it and thinking, wow, like there is uh, a real reservoir of feeling that is happening in Magneto that I did not expect from this movie. And then that's it. You, guess, like, uh, that's, pretty, that's like maybe the last scene he has in the movie where he has more than two lines of dialogue. Yeah, he does not do – then he's just standing no, he around much. pulling metal out of the ground. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's Brian Singer after Valkyrie just – you know taking his revenge <laughs> on the world. Um, but I, I feel like there are a no, lot was... of moments like this throughout the movie. Just, just... For other characters? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like uh, Cyclops' scene when we first meet him and he's accidentally shooting his laser eyes out in school and that destruction and being scared of that. That was the first time where... And the X-Men movies have done a lot of this, the kind of introduction through being on the outside of the world and, and feeling alone. And uh, apparently that, that scene was supposed to be in one of the original X-Men movies. I think it was in Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie's first X-Men script back in like 98 or something, which I think is kind of cool, but wow. it feels that way too. It feels just like classic X-Men. Um, if, if an X-Men movie was like a Spider-Man movie, or something would have uh, that kind yeah, of scene. Basically. I just I love that. And no this movie does not have time for every character and every character gets a little little beat, but I think those beats are really genuine and fulfilling and and crazy 
in, in terms yeah, of visual style. Yeah, and I was really into uh, Sophie Turner's Jean Grey, and I no, no, I was too. Me too. The most dynamic actor, but I don't, I don't know. It wasn't bad. I'd say she's maybe the least dynamic actor. No, I thought Ty Sheridan. <laughs> no, was Olivia Munn is definitely was a weaker. Olivia, yeah, oh. okay, yes. Let's be clear. Totally, Olivia Munn is a disaster, but maybe it's not. Totally her fault. The script doesn't give her a lot of lines or a lot of motivation. There's nothing to do. She has the most ridiculous costume. She does imagine. There, there, I, it's really hard to imagine any actor or actress in that role being able to salvage the part. Um, so it's I mean, unfair. It's, but. it's sad that uh, Hugh Jackman, who's in this movie for about five minutes, has an amazing yeah. scene, in my opinion. And Olivia Munn is in this movie for 30 minutes and has nothing to do. That's crazy. Okay, so wait. How? Where is Wolverine and how is this happening? Where is Wolverine and how is this happening? Um, let me see if I can explain. <laughs> Wait, this. He showed up in the last movie, right? Didn't he have a cameo? He, he has. He appears in Future not a cameo. Past. He's the star of Days of Future Past for sure. He's the only one who could go back in time. Do you remember that? That's that's okay. right. Yes. Okay. I, there's no real crossover with that movie because he was being sent from the past, so his present day self would not remember that if he. Time travels back forward after the events of Days of Future Past. So he's been he's been captured by Stryker in this and like held exactly. Lap. Exactly. So the events of X Men Origins Wolverine are now written out of the movie. And actually X Men Last Stand has been retconned and is not has not really happened either. Didn't Future Past do that too? Undo X Men The Last Stand? Wasn't that the whole thing that everyone said about that? That's fuzzy for me. I, I'm not exact. I wish Dave was here. He probably has like timeline charts or some shit that could explain that totally. But I, I just love that not only does it take pot shots at the last stand, it then gives Jean Grey, since we're talking spoilers, her Phoenix moment at the end. That's kind of alluding to what happens in the last stand, but preempting it in some ways. I think. Yeah, that's and fantastic. doesn't I, I've still never seen last stand. Does isn't that what kills her in last stand? Yes, she's become evolved, and she is the phoenix. They don't really – they kind of botch it in the explanation, but she kills Wolverine, and then, yeah, she dies. Or she doesn't so, kill Wolverine. I'm sorry. She kills Professor she X. Why die in this one? She doesn't die because she's just empowered. She just has superpowers. It's kind of I alluding like the to the fact that it could that go phoenix later. Not knowing really where they're headed with this whole franchise, it does kind of feel like they're setting her up to be the centerpiece of like the leader of the X Men of the future, and I'm I'm really into that. Like, I mean, yeah, Storm Cyclops is in, game. Cyclops is in, Nightcrawler's in, Jean Grey's in. They have their own franchise ahead of them. Jennifer Lawrence is out. Yeah, but but she seems to be like the center of it. Like she has the most, the biggest character moment of all of them in this movie, and I like that. Well, that's how it was with the past movies too, right? That she and uh, Professor well, X are the closest was the hero those movies yeah i guess that's true i would like to see i i i mean i guess this goes back to your original point i like sophie turner in this movie quite a bit i just think the whole like teen angle is really charming yeah me too um and it could have been i like their, the, i like both the of these characters bit. while i, like I think them. that the scene introducing cyclops is fine uh these characters are dead wood together they're they, i could not show. wait I could not wait for both of them to vanish from the screen. Oh. And for someone who is, I mean, Cyclops is always a bore, but for Jean Grey, who's such a Take pivotal character in the X-Men lore, for her to be undersold as she is here, it's really, 
it's hard to imagine how that quite happened. I don't happened. know. I like the like scene the- where they're locked up in the base and they're trying to just get out and then Wolverine helps them. Like, yeah, that that's of, one like thing. Like flailing that's and not really knowing talk how about, to use and, powers. And talk about violence. Oh that Wolverine God. escape is crazy violent. I think it's the first time that he has ever shed blood in an yeah. X-Men movie. I can't remember. I mean, if, if he stabbed people in the Wolverine and blood splattered across the uh, walls, I cannot remember. But that's ha- exactly what happens in Apocalypse. And I was, I was like, I gasped. Yeah. I thought that was, I was Deadpool influenced, I suppose. Um, David, did you at least like Nightcrawler? Yeah, I, I mean, I preferred him. I didn't think he was, again, not much to do. Uh, the It's fine. I mean, I but I had my fill of Nightcrawler with Alan Cumming. I, like this character, seeing more of the same uh, younger version of nightcrawler doesn't do anything for me that's that's i think the biggest disappointment about apocalypse isn't actually what's built into the movie i enjoyed the the crazy action scenes i enjoyed the character beats i was surprised by that but the 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 big letdown is that it feels exactly like all the other movies this it cannot pivot to something new it can't go crazy in terms of the mission they're on the the grand scheme the the plot i guess uh, it can't go crazy. I don't Just know why. Just in the Quicksilver scene. What was that? Just in the Quicksilver scene. That's like the one spot where you really see it kind of stretching the bounds of what these movies do. That's true. Well, and, and it feels the, like a fantasy Holocaust. land. And, oh, and the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and the nuke scene. I mean, like the nuke launch at least hints at the kind of scale that the plot of this movie invites, but doesn't. They pull the trigger, but then, you know. Uh, nullify it moments later. So they're, they're halfway there. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's definitely a, a point where you kind of get into superhero, you know, fill in the blanks, like what is the big global threat? And that's where Apocalypse, Apocalypse didn't work for me. He didn't feel that di- different from Ultron, really. But like, I don't know. It's like, as long as you got Michael Fassbender's Magneto, I will want to see these movies. I, I don't know that we're ever going to see it again, but uh, probably I would want to watch it. I think McAvoy will come back. And that's yeah. good enough, actually. I really dig him. I like in these him. Movies. I like him a lot too. Cool swinging Professor X. I dig it. Wow. Anyway, X Men Apocalypse. Who would have guessed uh, X Men Apocalypse would probably be of the three uh, <laughs> superhero movies this spring? The one that we all reviewed the, the best. Yeah, uh, we are definitely going to be in the minority on that. We were going to feel like the mutants when it comes to this movie, I think. Well, we, I didn't like Future Past that much, and there's been I've heard so much raving about it since this movie came out that I feel like i got to revisit. I, I clearly like don't remember it well. Oh, yeah, that movie's awful. But I feel like we, all of us, are on the uh, the positive side of the yeah. reactions that I've seen from this movie. So. Oh, from this one? Yeah, oh, yeah. no, we definitely are, but I think yeah, we're yeah. outside the majority. I think there's a lot of, like... I don't know. There's something about the MCU that has sucked a lot of people up that this movie is not going to get the time of day. It looks awful in the trailers, so it's going to play awful. I'm not sure. I feel like we're on the outside. But I guess we'll know when we start getting angry comments talking about how yeah. big idiots we are. Well, I, I tried to talk a lot, them. so I don't think you guys talked over me unless uh, our no. Skype connections were failing. So <laughs> at least have that going for us. We do not have that superpower. X-Men Apocalypse. Woo! I was talking last night I need a
Maybe you can say two words about Alice through the looking glass, please. Oh, yeah, please. Very bad. <laughs> what do you? That's all you're gonna say? Very bad? You, you said two words. I would say you. I want you to say three sentences. No, I'm. I'm good. Is this movie it's gonna make awful. another billion dollars? Who knows? We might. We live in a world where Donald Trump might be president. Who fucking knows? Uh, the, the movie. It's a movie. Is such a cynical piece of garbage. I mean, the one thing worse than it's Tim Burton. Alice in Wonderland movie is someone is another filmmaker coming in and being locked into the template that Tim Burton laid for him uh, and sort of beholden to that incredibly garish aesthetic. I mean, this is a like truly ugly, empty movie and not even Mia Wasikowska, who is one of the most watchable actresses alive right now, um, can get out of this one unscathed. So what even happens? I mean, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's a time thing. They go back in time. Does not make any fucking sense? It's stupid. Sasha Baron Cohen plays time itself. Uh, it, it it's really just a, a black hole of a film. Um, <laughs> and I, I would beg all of you not to see it. Sounds like a well rave. then. Well then, on that note, hey patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yeah, it was uh, conceived by Dave, who I wish could be there. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to get his two cents on X Men. He's a very big X Men person, so I, I anticipate his uh, review. But his question for us was uh, in honor of X Men Apocalypse. Which uh, X Men Cinematic Universe mutant are you, David? What's your choice? Uh, hang on, I had to quit Twitter to uh, <laughs> try and. Make David quit Twitter. Never, Finally, uh, to try and make my. I will sign back on here. Blah uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, all g- <laughs> there's some good answers here. Um, I will go with Greg Rice, Greg underscore Rice, who says Cyclops, because I'm a good, well-meaning kid until I snap and start a separatist revolution. Also, I have glasses. <laughs> wow. Uh, Patches, what about you? Um, let's see. I'm going to go with uh, at Cap'n Woodrow, who said, The Blob. And then he and then uh, multiple spaces, there's just a sad face afterwards. Wow. Uh, I love that. Be strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I am going with Ben Leopold, who says rogue because her dating life is mostly a disaster. What's with all this self-deprecating X-Men humor? Because nobody wants to be a superhero, I guess. I want to. But be... I do. I also like the person who said the blue one. <laughs> or so, <laughs> someone was with David and said the one who blinks his eyes and changes the television channel, as if people really need to do that. No one's watching television. Let's be honest. Anyway. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week. Maybe we'll all be the blue one by then. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the senior film critic for IndieWire, and I'm on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com, and I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>